try to tell people this all the time. I'm like, when you are on your deathbed, like running is not going to be there for you. And if you utilized running so much that you pushed everyone out of your life and like didn't genuinely connect with them, like you're not gonna have anything. Like, and eventually running will fade. Like you will get hurt. Like you're not gonna run until you're 100 years old probably. As someone who works like closely with people who are very ill, no one is ever like, yeah, I wish I did more. I wish I did more fitness. Like I wish, they're always like, I wish I spent more time with my family. I wish I had a better relationship, you know, usually son or daughter. Fitness is good, but it cannot be everything. It can't fill every void in your life. The foundation of that is like the people and like the things that you love. All right, how are we? We are good. Abby just made us dinner and it was amazing. So vibes are high. Yeah, <laughs> I know. It's uh, something we're trying to definitely make a point of is having people over if we're going to do an in-person podcast. And uh, it was cool to have you and Tyler over. And um, now we've got our little two-person audience. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the peanut gallery. <laughs> yeah. So uh, we're doing well. How are you feeling post 100 miles? Yeah, I feel... Uh, I think as good as you could feel for running 100 miles. I think I am maybe 10 days removed from finishing right now. Um, I never thought I would be running again at this point, and I definitely can't run. But I just started lifting two or three days ago, and I feel broken, but mm -hmm. I, can, I can do it. It just doesn't feel great. If I had to rate myself, I'd say I'm like 80% out of 100. Yeah. Mostly my knees are still just a little crunchy. Yeah. What has that recovery process been like for you? We'll get into the race here in a minute, but I remember recovering the, particularly the week following my 100 mile race. And I thought it was really cool, even though it, it wasn't necessarily fun because you, you don't have the same mobility and ability that you're used to. But I remember seeing little changes from day to day in terms of recovery. And also like little things like for the first time in my life, I woke up like sweating in the middle of the night. Have you had that? <laughs> I actually had the opposite. I couldn't regulate my body temperature, but I was just really cold. Uh -huh. Like I had a few nights that I just, I mean, like my extremities were just like ice. Yeah. Uh, I assume that's an effect, but yeah, that was not that fun. It's, <laughs> it's weird because it's like the work is done and you've accomplished the thing, but your body still has to bounce back. And it, it's like when you can look at that and see the way that your body is able to be resilient. It's like, that That was something that I really appreciated. Yeah, I so I finished the race Sunday morning at like 7 a.m. and then we had a flight Monday morning at 6 a.m. So I was in a connection. We had a really tight connection, like 60 minutes in Chicago. And it was Marathon Monday in Chicago. So mm -hmm. I was super stressed that we were not gonna make our connection because of me to the point that I, on my like reservation, to check into the airline, like typed a note and said, like, might need assistance. I was like, oh, my gosh, you're going to be the person on the cart. Nearly, I was like, nearly running over everyone in the airport. I was like, Tyler's going to have to push me in a wheelchair. Like when I was walking Sunday, I was like, there's no way I'm walking through an airport. And then somehow by Monday morning, I was wearing bath slippers. That is a caveat. Um, I could not fit my shoes on my feet at all in any way. <laughs> but um, I made it through the airport and I was really that was like just as much of an accomplishment as finishing 100 miles to like be able to walk the next day um, after like finishing the race and feeling the worst pain I've ever felt in my life to 24 hours later, like hobbling my way through the airport. 
Yeah. So the first the first day was really bad. <laughs> really, yeah. really, really bad. It's a shock yeah. to the system because you just know how you felt at the end of the race. And some part of you believes that getting a little bit of rest, you'll feel better. Yes. But I've heard from people who do like 200 plus milers where you have to sleep. They take a nap because you need a little bit of sleep throughout the race. And they wake up feeling awful from that nap, but they have to keep moving. Yes, I definitely relate to that. I had thoughts of napping during the race, but every time I would even sit down for five minutes and try to like stand back up on my feet, it was like the swelling had already set in and like I would have to, it would take me like five to 10 minutes to like numb out the pain and that progressively, that period got longer and longer Mm -hmm. as the race went on until the nineties when it just didn't really go away. (laughs) Yeah. Um, you know, I feel like this, this podcast is quickly becoming an ultra marathon podcast. (laughs) It it isn't really, but I do find it interesting. Um, and I know my own reasons for it, but like the reason behind people running 100 miles and pushing themselves to that extent, and then like experiencing all the things that you've kind of outlined for us, it's like, why would anyone choose that for themselves? So for you, why did you want to run 100 miles? Yeah, so I guess it all started with marathoning, as I guess it does for most people, except for some select psychopaths who go from zero to 100 miles. Um, So it started with marathoning as something I thought that I could never do, just seemed like unattainable. And then when that became attainable, and then some, like a marathon became something I could just do, I was just kind of looking for the next step. I kind of missed the feeling of the marathon being like the hardest thing I'd ever done. Mm -hmm. And now, even when I ran fast at Boston, I was like fully recovered the next day. So I guess in a way I kind of craved the challenge and Mm -hmm. like the feeling of totally exerting yourself to the point that you can't walk, which sounds actually insane when you say it out loud. Um, But yeah, for me, it was just, I, tell people this all the time I wasn't born a runner like I didn't wake up running some people are just like fast naturally running a marathon was really hard for me and I the first time I heard that someone had run 100 miles like that thought couldn't even like process in my brain like I just could not imagine that someone Mm -hmm. actually ran 100 miles and then I started seeing people that I related to who were doing it you being one of them and I was like well, I mean, if they're doing it at one point, like a marathon was hard for mm-hmm. them. So I guess for me, as someone who like doubts myself a lot, it was something that I thought I could prove to myself that I could do more. Uh, my It's like my mind is my biggest limiting factor, mm-hmm. um, which isn't the case for everyone. But I feel like for a lot of women, we like put ourselves into a box of we can't do this. And for me, it was like a way to show myself that like anything that I want to do with the right amount of work like I can do it yeah I love the way you explain that because to me it it justified why I want to bring people on who are doing these types of things and just have genuine conversation about it it reminds me of episode two with Daniel Flores he mentioned like seeing me run 100 miles and he said it was just different to see someone who you know wasn't famous on instagram or like didn't have this large following and they they did it like they pushed themselves to that limit and i think it's important to be able to identify with the things that people are doing and with the people who are doing them and i love hearing those stories because it's like you don't have to um you know have this massive following you don't have to have this really wide range of experiences to do these things you just have to have the courage to sign up 
the you know discipline to put in the monotonous training which is really what ultra marathon training is is it's just day by day low and slow as far as mileage goes you had what a five hour training session maybe yeah my longest like not race run was five hours by myself right so yeah that's really lonely and yeah just crazy to set out the door and be like yeah i'll be back in five hours yeah it's like and it, it almost at certain points i remember this during my training it didn't even feel physical anymore like physically i knew i'd be fine it felt like i was training my mind as much as my body did you feel that way yes definitely it was just so easy to get in my head on long runs and just be like yeah. i'm just at the end i was like i'm just sick of this like if i have to run 25 miles one more time like there's just no way i can do it i had to get really creative with it drag tyler along on the bike mm -hmm. um I ended up signing up for a marathon just because mentally like I knew I could run a marathon like I've run a marathon many times but those training runs were just becoming so like mentally defeating it's time it was hot I just physically it was never like I can't run 20 miles but mentally it became like do I want to run 20 miles like mm -hmm. am I having fun <laughs> yeah is this even the best use of my time <laughs> yes. I remember feeling that yes. way I was like I have so much stuff to do like I'm a busy person yeah. and I'm about to set out on a four-hour journey yeah um in the end it paid off and all of those runs were worth it but during prep especially towards the end I was like I just want to be done with this so badly mm -hmm. which is not I, I experienced that with marathons but just not to the same level of burnout I think right Take me to race week, maybe the days, you know, preceding the race. Where were you mentally? How were you feeling? Yeah, so I worked five shifts in a row before my 100-mile race, um, right up to my 30th birthday. Uh, at this point, I was tapering. Honestly, was on a high from just having such little time committed to running. Like, yeah. even though I was working a lot, I just felt like I had so much time back because my runs were capped at like six miles. Mm -hmm. And at that point, six miles felt like a jog in the park. Yeah. I was like, oh, that's quick. Um, so I got to my birthday and then we got on a plane and flew for most of the day to sh Chicago. No, we didn't go to Chicago. We went to Cleveland. That's mm -hmm. not in Ohio in case anyone didn't know that. I didn't know that. Um, <laughs> And that day I just felt terrible. Like we were traveling all day. My nutrition was so bad. Mm -hmm. I wasn't hydrated. We ended up eating Wendy's at like midnight because nothing was open in Akron, Ohio. And I was like, this is just like not how I wanted to be like prepping for this time. Mm -hmm. um, but then luckily it paid off like having already, I woke up at the race, like rather than having to travel the day before the race. So. Right that two days prior, I was feeling like there's no way I can do this. Like my stomach is so upset. I'm like not drinking any water. Like this isn't gonna go well. The next day my pacer started to show up. Like things started to chill out. I picked up my packet and I felt really good until like 6 p.m. that day. <laughs> yeah. I just, I remember, well, first of all, I feel like all races, especially when you have to travel for them, the majority of races that I've done, I've had to travel in some capacity to them do it as early as possible because yes. it is a mess, it's a mess. Um, and you wish you could control all of the things that you were controlling throughout training but you can't and there has to be that point where you just have faith in the training that you've done and and understand that like the challenges that you're facing in the days leading into the race are very similar to the challenges that you'll face during the race like they're outside of your control and that's really what 
endurance and you know specifically ultra marathoning is it's like you're going to i think i texted you the day before the race i was like face the problem one by one by one because that's all in my experience that it was is i would have this problem that i maybe didn't anticipate or wasn't prepared for i would face it and then right when i got through that another problem would come and it's just like problem by problem until you get to the finish line Yeah, I think that was a big part of wanting to do something with so many unknown factors for me as I'm, like many people, a huge control freak as my husband sitting over there can attest to. I love to be in control of everything. Mm -hmm. You name it, I want to control it. And this was an experience that pushed me like so far out of that comfort zone. Like I had to get comfortable with the fact that I was not going to be able to control probably 50% of the things Mm -hmm. going into the race. So it was a big push for me mentally to like accept that and I think I struggled with that honestly and up until like 25 miles into the race I was still just so stressed about the things that I couldn't control just like waiting for something to happen that like was going to be something I hadn't planned for and that anxiety drove me a good 25 to 30 miles (laughs) Uh, yeah I I remember taking a wrong turn one mile into my 100 mile race experience and uh, realizing that on that day I was going to run 102 miles and not 100 miles, which in the grand scheme of things, especially now looking back, doesn't matter. Like it meant nothing, but it was the frustration that I had the ability to prevent that mistake. And yet the mistake was still made. And it felt like throughout the race, the same feeling kept coming up just in different ways. It's like, you should have known better. You should have been able to prevent this, but that's life. And that's why we do it because In those moments, you're just facing the problems one by one, and you're learning that although I could have potentially prevented it, I can still overcome it. Yes. The overcoming was a big thing for me. I was like, okay, the problem is here. It's done. Like, you just have to keep moving forward. Like, you can't let this one little derailment, like, ruin your whole race. You trained for months for this. Like, we're not coming here because now you have a blister and you didn't plan for that, and now you're just going to, like, throw away the whole race. So. Mm many lessons were learned and yeah take me through the race maybe just from a high level perspective of like your expectations of running 100 miles versus the reality of one running 100 miles yeah so i when i talked to my coach like the week maybe actually when i was packing for the race so two days before the race i was like this is what i think is going to happen i think one through 50 are going to be smooth sailing like i've done 50 i'm confident in 50 that's going to go well and then 50 to 75 I think it's going to be really hard because that's the point of the race where you're you're past halfway but you're not close to the finish Mm -hmm. you know so much of the race lies ahead of you and then I stupidly thought 75 to 100 like some adrenaline would take (laughs) over and my marathoning instincts would kick in and it would be like all right I'm almost done I'm gonna be I'll be there soon and yeah well I was right about one part one through 50 were great I was very wrong (laughs) about the second half of the race um my whole like I just wanted to keep disaster away for like as long as possible I was like I just want to get as many miles behind me before like catastrophe happens so that when it does happen I like I'm closer to the finish and like mentally it's easier to process Mm -hmm. like hitting catastrophe at 65 rather than 45 um and that did go as planned um other things that didn't go as planned is I went out, I really took a gamble on myself once I started to get comfortable and I did not go with my 
plan pace. So my mm -hmm. original plan was to run 11 to 12 minute splits for the first, as long as I could hold 11 to 10 minutes, 11 to 12 minute splits. And that turned into nine thirties for the first 30 miles. Yeah. Uh, I um, hit the marathon mark in four and a half hours. And I was like, well, I'm either going to hold this pace or I'm going to dial it back. But if I hold this pace, then I'm just gaining room on the back end. Like I'm giving myself more of a buffer. So I really gambled on myself in the first 50 miles and ran a lot faster than I expected to. I thought I would be hitting dark at 50 mm -hmm. and I ended up not seeing darkness till mile 70. So that was a big win for me mentally mm -hmm. to have planned to run so slow and then to have gotten so far ahead of where I thought I would be to the point that my pacers were like, oh, I'm running now. Like, mm -hmm. I thought I was picking her up in the dark and now yep. like it's 2 p.m. and we're going. So yep. it was not planned, but it ended up being a gamble that paid off well. I think we had really similar experiences from our first 100 mile <laughs> races. Um, it was the same thing for me. I partly on the frustration of having made such a dumb mistake early on in the race and then also feeling really good. Um, I just let myself run. And I remember, you know, at mile like 40, just running, you know, these kind of slight incline, but pretty long hills while other people were hiking them, walking them. And I was like, you know, like this may not be the best idea, but at the same time, I'm going to live in this moment. I'm going to experience this as I feel like I can experience it right now. And I don't regret that at all. Yeah. It feels like in the moment you're kind of like not sure. You're like questioning yourself. But yeah. when you go for it and it pays off, I mean, the feeling was amazing. <laughs> I hit 100K at like a seven hour PR and I mm -hmm. was like on top of the world. I was like, I can do anything. Mm -hmm. Plot twist. I couldn't do anything yeah. eight miles later. That would change a lot. But I, when you're feeling a race that long, like you really mm -hmm. do have time to buy time. In a yeah. marathon, I don't believe in banking time. Like yeah. running too fast for the first half of a marathon can tank your race. But yeah. this level, this length of a race, I think you really do have time to bank time because you are going to fall apart. Like you are going to rest longer towards the end. So mm -hmm. I don't necessarily think it's a bad thing if you're feeling good then send it and that's what yeah, i did yeah. <laughs> i raced in alpha flies for the first 45 miles really? of my race and that's another gamble i took shout out to manny he told me to do it yeah and i think it paid off like an unbelievable amount like right my legs were just like not taxed at all when i got to 50 i was like i could run forever the the train wasn't crazy technical right like no. what, what were you running no on? it's a road race Oh, gravel was, gravel was, roads okay, basically, yeah, gotcha. it's fast it's a very fast 100 like wow. winners 12 hours yeah so quick yeah yeah, yeah they're quick <laughs> not me but yeah so you believe that kind of going out a little bit faster in a 100 mile race do you feel like the the pain and the struggle that you were experiencing let's say from like 90 to 100 do you feel like that was almost just like uh unpreventable and that going out at whatever pace you felt good at early on in the race was just like the way you should have done it. It didn't matter at the end. Yeah. I really do think everything that I was experiencing pain and like mind wise couldn't have been prevented by slowing down a minute per mile earlier. If anything, being so far ahead when I hit that point of like, Oh no, I'm in trouble. Gave me like life to know that I have, I have so much time, like no matter mm -hmm. what, like you're going to make it. But if I had, let's say I was like up against the buffer, I think it would have been mm -hmm. a lot easier for me to get in my own head and say like, I can't do this. Like I only have X hours left. 
-hmm. Instead, I was like, I have 12 hours left. Like there's nothing like you can run 50 miles at least Mm -hmm. in 12 hours. Um, So I do think it paid off. I don't think it's always the right strategy. And I think as if I decide to keep running hundred mile races, I do think the strategy could change with experience. I'm sure experienced 100 runners split much more even races than I did. Right. And the course, I would, I would think, plays, you know, a large part of it. Um, I definitely agree with you, though. I think that, you know, you're going to face a struggle anyways. You may as well be there a little bit earlier, right? <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> so I, I feel like in an ultra marathon, there's two different types of hard moments. There's the hard moments where you're still in the right state of mind to face it and to, like, have that perspective around what's happening. For me, uh, it was around, like, mile 70 75 and it was hurting but i was very appreciative of that feeling because i knew i chose to be there and i knew that's something that i was searching for by coming to run 100 miles and then you get to mile 90 and 95 and all you want to do is be done and that perspective is out the window (laughs) and you're just dead to the world but you're continuing forward because you set that goal for yourself let's start with the first one Take me into those moments where it wasn't easy, but you were in that good state of mind. You were able to overcome it. Like what was going through your mind in those moments and what were you doing? Yeah. So I think the first time that I felt like, oh, this is like, this is hard. Not that it wasn't hard at first, but this is like hard. Like I'm feeling it. I'm slowing down. Like I can see my pace slowing down was right around 70. Mm -hmm. It started to get dark. It started raining. Um, I just things were starting to set in i changed i started having really bad pain in one of my feet so like a foot a shoe change happened somewhere in there that kind of messed me up and i just was really feeling the pain i luckily was with a close friend of mine pacing me at the time um who was ready to deal (laughs) with all of the emotions i was feeling Mm -hmm. um but i was still moving forward like I knew I was hurting, but I was still running. And like, Mm -hmm. that's all that I could hope for. I was like, okay, like you're in a bad place. Mentally, I'm not as good as I once was, but I am still moving forward and just like seeing my feet moving and like my pace is not being like glacial at that point was like encouraging enough to keep me going. Um, All I was really thinking about was aid station to aid station. I was like, just survive this six, eight mile stretch I think I had at that point when it really got tough I was like if you can just make it to the next aid station everything is going to change there like you're going to eat you're going to see everyone you love your spirits are going to be renewed you're going to get a new pacer like things are going to look up um I also in the beginning of the race I you have a lot of time to talk to people in a hundred mile race so I settled in next to like an older man who had run like multiple hundreds and he said something that I carried with me the whole race. He was like, whatever you're feeling in this moment, something opposite is coming. So if you're feeling Mm -hmm. really bad, take a minute walk, shake out your arms, eat a snack, and like, it's gonna reverse. So I just kept like holding on to that feeling. I was like, okay, I feel really bad right now, but on the other side of this is going to be a less bad feeling. As time went on, the bad, took over more than the good but it's still that his words played in my head the entire race (laughs) yeah I mean that's that's wisdom because what I felt was like you have the high and then you have the low and typically as he said like if you're in that high the low is coming and if you're in that low you will get back to a high but also what I found is at some point 
when you hit a, a low, you, there are no more highs. Like mm-hmm. you are just going to sit in that low <laughs> until the end of the race. Um, and I didn't know that <laughs> in the moment probably, but I think some part of me understood that like, okay, this is just going to suck. Like this is, there's there's no more glory to this. You just need to finish the race <laughs> and um, you know do it as best you can. Take me into those moments, the moments where it's like, I'm just ready to be done. Where was the mindset at (laughs) there? Yeah, so I foolishly, uh, from 82 to 90, rain cleared up. I was on such a high. I was picking up Tyler at 90. I just was like, this is it. Like, I'm going to crush the end of this race. Mm -hmm. I split less than 15 for every mile from 82 to 90. So I had already done the math in my head. I was like, all right, at this rate, I'm finishing in 22 hours, like just over 22, Mm -hmm. which going into the race, I expected to run a 29 hour race. So I was like ecstatic. And that feeling kept me going until 92. And then when I mean a light just went off in me, it was just off and it could not be turned back on. It did not matter what I ate, what anyone said, how close I was, where the aid station was, I was just done. Like mentally, physically, I was dizzy. I was like so nauseous. Mm. I couldn't eat. I was just a mess. And I I knew like when that moment hit that like I wasn't coming back from it. It was weird. Like I knew no high was coming. I was like, this is the mindset that you're living in for the next eight miles. So you might as well settle in. But I just could not. Settle in. I could see like my time goals fading. I could see that the race was going to be longer than 100 miles. Like I was mm-hmm. doing the calculation. Mm-hmm. Um, I was just shaking. Like I lost all ability to like regulate my body temperature. I was like violently shaking the mm-hmm. whole time. Um, I remember sitting down at the aid station at 95 and like all my friends were there like shoving food in my face and like rubbing me. I was just literally crying. Like I was bawling my eyes out. I was like, I don't want to do this. And I took like 10 minutes to get myself together. And then I put one really slow foot in front of the other. <laughs> I mean, I, I was glacially crawling. I have hesitated to look at my splits from that time because I know do that it. they There's are. There's no point. <laughs> yeah, I know that they are in the 20 to 30 minute range. Just, yeah. I was dragging my feet. They hurt so bad. I had never felt pain like that in my life. I just knew I wasn't coming back from it and that I really was being carried by my pacer and like my crew, like yeah. they're, they were the only thing getting me to the end of the race. If I was alone, I would not have finished the race. What did you learn from those moments specifically? The moments where it was, I mean, the, what you're describing is like, it was survival pretty much. Yes. Um, sure. Your, your life wasn't on the line, but you were in a position where it's like, I just need to get to the finish line so that I can get in a better spot and, you know, like take care of myself better. What did you learn from the hardest moments of this race? Yeah, I, I mean, I learned so much about myself. Um, just you really can keep going when you think you can't. It's like you can be, this is like applicable to any part of your life, not just running. Like you can be in the lowest of lows and like keep enduring. Like you want to quit, you, but you just don't. Like you find a way to make it happen. Like if you really want something, you just find a way to keep going, even if that is like dragging your feet, barely picking them up off the ground, moving at a 45 minute pace, like you're still going. And I think mentally I've always struggled with like thinking that I'm resilient enough to overcome those moments. And in those two hours, two to three hours, which were eight miles maybe, I learned that 
I can keep going. Even though I totally disassociated in that time, um, <laughs> I have reflected since. I'm like, wow, like I've never felt that way in my life. Like that was, I was on empty and then some, and I just kept my feet moving. Um, and the other thing I learned is like, it really matters who is with you. Like, mm -hmm. again, being like a novice in the sport, I saw people winning without pacers. Don't get right. me wrong. But when you know you're going to be up against that mental struggle, like when physical is going to be out the window and it's all mental, like the people that you're surrounded with matter so mm -hmm. much because if it had just been someone who was like indifferent to my success, they might've just been like, all right, you want to stop? Like we can stop. Like I'm yeah. cold too. Like I'm hungry. It's four in the morning. Like I don't yeah. want to do this, but luckily I was surrounded with a lot of people who were like more invested in my success maybe than I was. So yeah. I'm just like endlessly thankful to everyone who supported me, even just on my phone. Like when I was really low, I'd like look at my phone and see all of these messages and like texts. And I was like, so many people are like rooting for you. Like yeah. you can't give up on yourself now. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, even if I could have done it alone, I would have never chosen that for myself. Like I see no situation in the future where I go into a 100 mile race and I say, I want to do this alone. I have something to prove to myself because from my first experience, like the people are what made it special. Sure. I got a lot from those moments where I was out there alone and struggling. Um, but to be honest, like when I really reflect on that experience, I don't remember a lot of the moments that I was by myself, even if it was like you know, at a point in the race that should have been much more notable. I remember having a pacer with me. I remember being at the aid stations. Like that's what sticks with you. And I think that is a really big part of what makes ultra running so special, especially set apart from marathoning, is that you might not need people around you, but you want it. It's gonna make it better. I couldn't agree more. I would never wanna take this on by myself. I mean, just, seeing those people at the aid station just changes your whole perspective. Like to know that there are people who are willing, no one talks about how hard crewing is. Um, and Abby and Tyler are sitting right here so they can attest running a crew, like being the one responsible. Like it's very stressful. Like yeah. we did it at Leadville not that long ago. It, mm -hmm. It's not something to be taken lightly. You don't just like show up, read a book and like hand out a granola bar every once in a while. You are like, it's very methodical. It's not fun. You stay awake for the longest. You've probably ever stayed awake. You're hallucinating also, but like you're still doing it. And mm -hmm. just knowing that like they, you have people in your corner that are willing to like go that far from you, for you is like something very special to me, I'm sure to you as well. And it just everything goes back to why you're doing it. So whether you're running the race or whether you're crewing someone who's running the race, you will get very little out of it if you're not doing it for the right reasons. So maybe you're going out to crew a race and you're not doing it for the right reasons. Maybe you're more worried about yourself than the person who you're crewing. And it's like, if you're doing that, then yeah, like it's going to show. It's going to show in your actions when you're tired and when you're beaten down as well and you know you haven't eaten enough, it's cold, uh, it's the middle of the night, you'd much rather be somewhere else, this isn't your thing, are you going to take ownership over it? Like, do you care about the person enough to take ownership over their success? And that to me was what made Leadville so special. It's like, Matt finished that race. Matt completed the Leadville 100. And I told him after the fact, I'm like, I never would have crossed that finish line with you. 
Um, I wanted that for you. And also in the future, I want that, you know, for myself to be able to cross that finish line knowing I finished the race. But truly, like, we did that together. Yes. And that's what made, you know, the the memory special. I learned quite a bit about myself from crewing Leadville, um, almost as much, maybe as much as I learned about myself running 100 miles. And it's like, because I took ownership over what I was doing, because I cared. Yes, I think that is key. You have to choose the right people. Yeah. And I mean, if you're lucky like I am, those people just already exist in your life and you don't have mm-hmm. to look very far. Um, but yeah, I think there's a lot to be gained from crewing and mm-hmm. running. Like if you're going to run an ultra and expect people to crew you, then you should, mm-hmm. you should be on the other end of the coin yeah. because it's not, you have so much to thank those people for. Yeah. That was a promise I made with myself after running Rocky is I was like, now you get to be there for other people. Yes. Um, and fortunately I've had that opportunity and it's been really special. Take me to you know, kind of like the standards that you set for yourself going into this race, whether it be specific goals or just things that you knew you wanted to do when it got hard. Um, maybe, it, you know, it can be things like times when you wanted to continue running no matter the pace versus, you know, times when it would be okay for you to kind of slow down a little bit and walk. Um, you know, what were some of those standards that, that you set for yourself and did you find yourself like upholding those standards throughout the race? Yeah. So my first like number one rule to myself and my crew was I'm not coming off this course unless I'm unconscious or there's a bone sticking out of my leg. <laughs> like we're not stopping for a stress fracture. Like we are finishing yeah. this race unless it's literally life or mm-hmm. limb or eyesight. Honestly, I don't even need my eyesight. <laughs> life or limb. You have um, a pace, so you'll yeah, be fine. Yeah, yeah. I closed my eyes for most of the last 10 miles anyway, so didn't need that. Um, so that was my number one rule, was finishing. Mm-hmm. I had no time goals going into it, except that I thought it would be cool to finish under 24 hours. But when I started the race, I wasn't holding myself to that standard just because being such like a novice ultra runner, I had no idea like what was coming after 50. I had no idea. So... My goals were to run the first 50. I I did take planned walking breaks. So like Mm -hmm. every two to three hours, no matter like how good I was feeling, I would walk for five to 10 minutes just because inevitably, like, you know, what's coming, like you can feel great now, but like Mm -hmm. this conserving this energy now, is probably going to pay off on the backside. Um, My other goal was in the beginning, not to spend more than like two to three minutes at an aid station. Honestly, most of the beginning ones, I spent like 90 seconds and then I wanted to break it up into like quarters. So like at the quarter of 27 miles, it ended up being like, you can take a longer break. Mm -hmm. Um, But I didn't want to get too comfortable and eat up too much time at aid stations. And then my next like thought that I was hoping would stick, which really kind of did was when I can't run anymore, like I want to at least run jog like whatever that ends up being for some of it it started off as like five minutes of running one minute of walking it got down to me counting to 50 in my head 50 steps and then walking for a minute or two until I could run again but I never wanted to be stopped like I wanted to always be moving forward and if there was the ability to run I wanted to be doing it in some way I didn't want to end up in a situation where I had to walk for 30 miles that was like my big fear I was like I don't want to get to 70 and then walk a marathon. Like that's going to take forever. And then as time went on, my 
goal became to get my crew like out of there as quick as possible i was like this is really hard like it's so cold it's so wet they're so tired like i want them to be able to be done with this so that kind of pushed me like the closer i got to seeing that i could be under 24 hours the more it motivated me to be like okay like time to buckle up and just get this done um initially i really thought i was running a 30 hour like i planned to run for 30 hours i was like it's probably going to take me 30 hours which now looking back is just like a classic me thing to do where i count myself out of the game like before it's even started when people ask me i said yeah it's going to take me 30 hours 29 59 that's my only goal i want to dive into that we talked about this a little bit on the way to leadville why do you think that is kind of your nature like mindset wise a lot of people first of all a lot of people wouldn't own up to that even if that's the reality and that is their mindset and they don't want to talk about it to anybody like they're going to hide that and portray this fake confidence which you can usually see right through why do you feel like we all have a default setting and no one's is wrong but you recognize what your default setting is in those moments and because you recognize it you can then navigate through it right why do you feel like that is your default setting to kind of count yourself out in that way yeah this is kind of funny i I, so i ran the race with one of my friends that i met in the army um super short backstory me and her were roommates when we went through training we were the first females to do what we were doing and we were in the same like platoon so and we were roommates so we spent a ton of time together and we were going into something that like women had never done before and the anxiety was so high all the time. Like we had to perform like physically, everyone expected us to be terrible. So we were just living in like such a high anxiety state all the time, even though we're both like some of the most physically capable people that I've ever met. Um, She finished the race also. Um, I think so much, we spent the first 27 miles together and we just, not that it was negative energy, but we were very anxious. Like we were both convincing ourselves that like we weren't gonna do, not that we weren't gonna do this, but that like it was gonna be a disaster. Like something really bad was gonna happen. We were just like waiting for the next shoe to drop Mm -hmm. for 27 miles. And it was just so, I could see so much of our anxiety like has come from that time where like we were chronically doubted by other people and in turn doubted ourselves. I mean, like every night before a physical event, we would be up so late, just like stressed, unable to eat, like heart rate, probably 500. I don't know. I didn't have a Garmin back then, but wow. I, and that like has like carried through with me in so many parts of my life that no matter what I do physically, I still like go back to that time and think about it. Um, Even though I've like all of those physical standards are things that I could do like with my eyes closed now, I still, it all goes back to that time where like every day my worth was based on like what I could do physically. Um, and I mean, that was most of my army career. So I think a lot of that comes from that. Um, and I just, I'm just a chronic self doubter. I don't know. I think it fuels me sometimes like to not believe I can do something and then do it. Um, and it makes me train harder if that makes sense, because I always think like, you're not going to do this. Like you can't do this. And then I do it. And it's like, I have moved the needle 1% in the correct direction rather than the opposite direction. So it's definitely something that takes a lot of work to overcome. Um, I don't think I have always been this way. Uh, I really think it comes from good old 2016 back in the army. (laughs) Take me back to 2016 a little bit. What were you doing in the army? What, What kind of like barrier were you breaking through? 
Uh, yeah. So when I commissioned in 2016, I became an officer. I had the opportunity to branch into combat arms, infantry in the army. Um, and uh, it wasn't open to women at the time. It became open the year that I was graduating. Um, so they took volunteers. I got accepted. Didn't think I would get accepted. So maybe it goes back further than this because at that time I was like, there's no way they're going to take me. Right. They took me. Um, fast forward, we get to Fort Benning, Georgia that summer um and no women had been there before so like all of the instructors and all of the peers that I had were all just very like skeptical of our existence um and that carried through my whole career up until pretty recently when I got out um just something people had never seen before was women doing my job and their natural like setting was to assume women couldn't do it for some reason people think women are like not physically capable. I do think that that standard is changing. Like the more women we see crushing ultra marathons yeah. and like beating men and like lifting 500 pounds or more. Like I do yeah. think it's changing um, in the positive direction, but change is slow. Um, social change is really hard for people to get behind. And that is still a thing that's hard for people to get behind is women doing a job that has always been like for men only. Yeah. Do you feel like that time of your life, um, how do you look back on that? Like from your perspective of, of facing those challenges and how you reacted to those challenges then versus maybe how you, you know, uh, act in the face of resistance and challenge today? Yeah, I definitely think I've grown a lot. Um, I am less of a self-doubter now than I was then. Um, I wouldn't say I was weak back then. I was still doing the thing. I was still crushing expectations. I was still really good at my job, but um, I just was much, it was much easier to like throw me off. Like one little setback would like send me into a spiral. Whereas I have so much more perspective now that I think I can thank running for maybe also therapy um, where I know that like taking one step back doesn't mean like you're only going back. Like sometimes taking one step back it's just what you need before you can take 10 steps forward. So I'm definitely much more resilient. I mean, me back then never would have even dreamed that I could run a hundred miles like that. I was 23 then I, I would be, I would bet on my life. I'd say, no, I'd be dead before I run a hundred miles. Um, yeah. So I think a lot of what I'm doing now is like for that younger version of myself who like had absolutely like no confidence when she should have, I should have been mm -hmm. confident, but I wasn't because of the position that I was in. So a lot of it, the things that I'm doing, I feel like I'm gaining my confidence back and like moving in the right direction rather than remaining the person that I once was. Would you say that you've kind of shifted to a, a point of like quiet confidence now, or is it, is it still very much a battle of like, I'm doubting myself and that's the thing that's fueling me? It's say it's more of a balance now. I mean, I don't know if I'll ever be like an outright, like this just would never be my personality to be right. super confident out loud. Um, I also, like even just telling people I was running 100 miles, I had this fear in the back of my head. Well, like what if I tell them I'm running 100 miles and then I don't, like what if I DNF? Like that's gonna be so hard for me to overcome. Um, but that's something I'm working towards, like dismantling, like setting a goal. Like, even if I set out to run this race and I ran 80 miles and I DNF'd, like, that would still be an accomplishment. Like, just because, like, anyone who DNF'd that race, like, they still tried to do the mm -hmm. thing. Like, it happens. People 
can run 500 ultras and then have one bad day and like not finish a race. So I'm definitely trying to move more towards like having goals, but also being okay with the potential that I don't reach them. Like that is a perfectly like normal human path. Like you cannot (laughs) achieve every single goal that you set out. And quite honestly, there's probably more to learn from not achieving them. So I'm trying to become more comfortable with like saying I have a goal and then making it public and then being okay with me not reaching it. Like if I put in the work and the efforts there and I come up a little short, then like that's still okay. That doesn't lessen my worth as a human being. Yeah. I mean, it's a really refreshing perspective in today's world of social media because a lot of times you see people signing up for these races because they want to talk about it. And I've had to really ask myself hard questions many times, you know, over the last few years when I think you were, you were mentioning earlier, like uh, intrusive thoughts, like intrusive <laughs> thoughts of like, I want to do this next thing. And, and these are like the most prominent after an accomplishment. So you just ran 100 miles, intrusive thoughts every single day about what's next, yes, right? And yes. you get those questions too. So you feel like there has to be something next. And, um, you know, it, you can sign up for a race and you can put your best foot forward and you can try to complete that race. And maybe you are, you know, plenty capable of achieving it. But did you really want to do it? And it goes back to the idea of ownership. It's like, I've recognized within myself that I will gladly take ownership over something I care about. And when I take ownership over it, I'm all in and I'm, I'm willing to do anything for the goal, for the person, for, you know, the task at hand. But it's a bad situation for me to be in when I, I fool myself into believing I want to do something and I don't. Because what I find is I end up making an agreement with myself that I don't care enough. I'm not good enough. Um, this task is too big for me. And none of that's true, but I'm getting those feelings because I'm not truly willing to invest into that thing. And so when you're signing up for these things, and maybe you can tell me about your experience like with the 100 mile or goals of, of your past, but like, I really have to ask myself the hard question of like, why do you want to do this? And for me, a practice is like, commit to it and then don't talk about it for a period of time. Like talk about it when you, when you are confident that like you do truly care about it. Because the second you start talking about it, even if it's, you know, um, when you're already immersed in the training of it, like if you start talking about it, but you're not truly all in on that goal and then you're not showing up for yourself, like that's the worst feeling to not show up for yourself. Yeah. I think it's been interesting for me to watch when we first did our, like, I think you ran with me. You were one of the first people to run with me when I started ultra prepping. Mm -hmm. We ran for a long time. It was interesting over the past few months to watch you like not have set a goal yet. Like you were like a lot of things you thought you might want to do to like be fully all in on the marathon that you're about to do to the point that I honestly have never don't know if I've ever known anyone who's not like an elite, like this isn't your life. You're not like an elite runner. Like you're not profiting off of this, but you are so in on this marathon that it, Yeah. I look at it every day and I'm like, wow, I've never seen anyone like more committed to a goal. But I also like a few months ago, you hadn't fully committed to that Mm -hmm. one thing yet because you were still in the process of like deciding and you can see that you really did decide. And like, this is the thing that you're doing. 
And you, I mean, to the point that I looked at your Strava during my hundred mile training and I was like, I'm not running enough. Austin's running a marathon and he just quadrupled my mileage. I was like, what am I doing? Um, but yeah, it's been really cool to watch your process of going, you know, we talked about like ultras and stuff, like you were just on the fence and now you're going to run a two thirty in uh, two not weeks. A, <laughs> not a, not a two thirty, but I, I do appreciate that. I remember, I remember that time, you know, it was, um, it was probably early summer that we were it was running like together. End of May. Yeah. yeah. And um, I remember that was a really good place for me to be because I was, I was very cognizant of the fact that I didn't have a goal and I was happy to not have a goal. But I knew there was something on the horizon that I was going to go all in on. And I'm not going to lie. Like, I don't know if fear is the right word. Hesitancy may be a better way to, the, to describe it. Um, but I was definitely like apprehensive to train for a marathon. Um, you know, the, the last marathon that I tried to quote unquote, like go all in on, uh, I, I just, it was a time of my life where there was too much else going on and, um, it just didn't all come together. And fortunately at that same time, I decided, no, the thing that you do want to train for is 100 miles. So I almost used that marathon as like a springboard into 100 mile training, but that was such a valuable lesson for me to learn of just like, you didn't want it and that's okay. And also your life didn't fall into place in the way that you needed it to, to achieve that goal um, or to piece together like the weeks of consistent training that you needed. And truly like there's something to that. We want to resist stress outside of training as much as possible, but the stress that you're feeling outside of, you know, your physical goals that plays into it and you can't push that down and push it down and push it down. And I think that's why I'm really proud of, you know, what these last few months of training have been for me is the stress has been there. Um, certainly some things have fallen into place to where I've been able to piece together, you know, a stretch of really good training um, at volumes that I've never really run at. But I had to know that I wanted it and I ha there had to be a bigger purpose. And the bigger purpose for me is like you're facing these challenges in your life. And you're not choosing these things. You get to choose this one. And if you want it, you will overcome it. And it's going to teach you so much about these other challenges that you're facing and how you're going to better deal with those. And truly, like, I, I can envision the finish line of this marathon in just under two weeks now. And it's, it's such an empowering feeling to, to think about what that is going to feel like to cross that finish line and to know that like this has been the hardest time of your life and you just won that's the mindset that i'm taking into is like i'm going to win 2023 at this marathon <laughs> like because i could have said no this isn't working like why would i want to train for a marathon right now like nothing else in my life is going well i could have gotten down on myself but i chose the thing that i knew would build me back up and that to me is like what is going to to be the guiding light for all of these future goals is like life's going to be hard enough and you're going to choose hard things at the same time that you're facing these other hard things that you didn't choose and it's like so you better choose it for the right reasons and you better know that it's going to make you a better person if it's not doing that 
it's not worth it and you also can't fool yourself for too long and you're going to get to a point where you think you're the problem but really it just like the decision wasn't right for you yeah i see that a lot nowadays i do think social media sometimes influences people to think that they need to run a marathon mm -hmm. or do xyz and it's not really it's just what they feel like they have to do but it isn't what they want to do and i mean you can see it in their training and then their race performance that it was like just something that they thought like it seems like nowadays like you have to run a marathon back mm -hmm. i remember my first marathon 10 years ago it was like no one had run a marathon and now i look at chicago and i'm like everyone i know ran a marathon um and I always try to tell people, like, if you don't like this, like, you don't have to do it. Like, there are other things. If this doesn't make you happy, if it's adding stress to your life in a negative way, if it's not making you a better person, then, like, you don't have to do this. Like, find the thing that makes you happy. And if it's not marathon running, then don't waste hours of your life doing something that, like, you aren't all in on. Like, you don't care to do it. You're just doing it because it will make, like, a good Instagram post which i mean it will um it will you'll get a lot of likes yeah. on a marathon photo but like did you do it for the right reasons do you like this are you having fun what do you see when you look at the picture <laughs> like I, I mean i can i can go through you know my social media or my photo album on my phone and um what other people see from a picture i see a very different picture and man i don't i don't know that there's a better example than the finish line of the 100 mile race yeah. <laughs> i like the the person who finished that race was pretty broken for a lot of reasons and um i think i needed that experience but at the same time like i i almost put too much on that experience i was like well if i can do this like what does that mean for everything else in my life mm -hmm. nothing truly <laughs> like yeah. it, it's like it, it happened in a vacuum um, it, it, it means nothing it, unless you're going to make it mean something. Um, so yeah, it's like, you better know why you're doing it. You better do it for the right reasons. Are you a person who puts a lot of pressure on yourself? Yeah. All of the pressure. Do you feel a lot of pressure from the outside or do you feel more of it from, from yourself? I think it's internal. Most of the people that I, I mean, outside of social media like most of the people I surround myself with are pretty like realistic and already think the things that I've done are absolutely insane yeah. so the pressure is definitely from my own brain but sometimes I feel pressure from people that I don't even really care about if that makes sense mm -hmm. just from like scrolling Instagram and seeing the things that other people are doing that will put me in a headspace where like I need to do better like look what they're doing like I should be doing more which is definitely like something I'm trying to get very yeah. far away from well, that's just like, it's a different form of um, intrinsic pressure because we're, I swear we're the same person in that way. <laughs> like, I don't feel pressure um, from other people. I, For the most part, I don't feel the need to perform for other people. It actually motivates me to do things under the radar. Um, that's something that, you know, I, I try to emphasize is like, be willing to do the work without talking about it at all the results will, will speak for themselves. And really, like, the results won't speak to anyone but you. So take pride in the results and, and what it meant for you. Um, but, you know, just that feeling of constantly trying to one-up yourself can sometimes be, like, the hardest pressure to face. Do you feel like 
you face that quite often yeah definitely which i mean could quite honestly be how i ended up running 100 miles to begin with because i'm always like well what's the next thing you're Mm -hmm. gonna do but i am trying to get away from that especially in this like immediate 100 post 100 period because it would be so easy to be like i did this so now i'm signing up for 200 which is a lot of people's questions are like well what's next 200 and i'm like i just want to take this time to like appreciate what i did and like take some time back to my real life and like focus on other things that aren't fitness because I gave up so much like for this race mm-hmm. time with people I care about time sleeping <laughs> sanity that yeah I think it's important it's really easy I think a lot of people talk about this you're like post-race depression and like you cure that by like finding the next thing like immediately and I've had those intrusive thoughts. I'm like, well, what yeah. am I going to do? And I'm like Googling things. And I'm like, no, just like let yourself be in this moment and like be okay that you just ran 100 miles and there doesn't have to immediately be a race signed up for. Like you're not getting paid for this. Like you, mm-hmm. you're doing this because you like it. So don't turn it into something that is like a chore. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's something that I try to be really intentional about. Um, after running 100 miles is i i call it an off season because professional athletes have an off season um but we don't allow ourselves that <laughs> like in this world of like constantly trying to one up yourself or potentially trying to one up other people we feel like it's one training cycle to the next one goal to the next bigger and better and it, it's just like it's going to lead think about like jenga <laughs> right like the game of jenga you you build it up and build it up and build it up it's going to crumble you know that yes but you keep building it up because you want to see how high you can get it to go <laughs> is that jenga is that yes. how jenga works yeah okay cool and you pull the pieces yeah out. to put it on top right yes yes yeah. it's jenga yes it, it's a perfect it, the most relatable thing i've heard in a while <laughs> and it's going can... it's going to crumble if you don't like take a step back let your body recover but i swear more than the body like the mind has to recover because if my mind's not in the right place going into you know these types of like all in training blocks if my if i didn't give myself time after running 100 miles if i tried to get right into a marathon prep or another ultra prep i would have crumbled because truly i crumbled anyways i just didn't do it in the face of a physical goal i struggled and there were those post race issues that were probably already there but they were masked by training for a race and believing that that was the most important part of your life. Um, so, you know, the, we're still going to face those struggles, whether we, we put another goal on the calendar or not. But just to be aware and truly to have the respect for yourself, to be like, no, I, I, I'm good. Like, I'm going to get back to running because I love running. I'm going to get back to running because it makes me a better person. And that's ultimately you know, what I got to do at the the early part of your training block for um, this ultra, getting to run with Daniel Flores and Matt, who both finished Leadville, like, it was almost the beginning of getting to support someone else. That's what I viewed it as. Like, you did your thing, and there will be another thing. But now you just get to connect, and you get to enjoy it, and you get to drop the expectations that you have on yourself. And uh, it was a really freeing experience. And I'm going to make a point every single year to do that for at least a stretch of a few months. 
yeah, I'm definitely in the same point where I'm like just going to try to enjoy fitness, um, not have it feel like something I have to check a block on all the time, be able to just go run 20 miles with someone if they need someone to run 20 miles with mm-hmm. and just really give back yeah, to other people. So Tyler, if you want to run a marathon, I'm available. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I have been sucked into the marathon after marathon for the past few years. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, it's exhausting. It's not like productive. Like, have I gone faster? Yes. But what can I do if I take time to like rebuild and like heal and like get back in a good mindset mm-hmm. rather than just like, I mean, like realistically, I could turn this around and run a marathon in February. Like I could jump right back into it, but like, will I be happy when I finish that marathon or will I just be like exhausted? And I, I've had enough of the exhausted and I want to get back to like the fun. (laughs) I want to do fitness for fun. Who are you outside of the fitness? Oof, good question. (laughs) There's this. I feel like people have this misconception about runners that we're like really super not lazy people because we run so much. (laughs) Yeah. But I identify as the laziest human in the world outside of running. Like the things that make me happy are like when we can lay on the couch with our dog and just like watch Mm -hmm. a TV show and like not be (laughs) moving my body. Um, But I do have a lot of like goals in the upcoming year. Like professionally, I'm trying to like, not get a new job but maybe get on like a job that is more sustainable Mm -hmm. uh i work nights and one day i would like to stop working nights um (laughs) yeah so i'm really lazy at baseline um that i feel like that blows people's minds they're like you must do so much stuff and i'm like no i love to do nothing um really so much nothing really Mm -hmm. for the past six months my whole life has been go to work run and that's just about it. Yeah. Um, so I want to get back to like doing the things that I like more, which is uh, laying on the couch with a good book. <laughs> um, but yeah, I do have like a pretty demanding career. So yeah. nursing takes a lot out of you. So that is like 50% of my identity right now. But I want to get to a point where I make that like a more sustainable thing for me rather than just burning. I'm always burning the candle. Candle at both ends. Yeah. Yeah, I remember reading a book um, a few years ago, and it was actually talking about how the best athletes are often the most lazy people because inherently they are integrating recovery into the routine on a daily basis, whereas you take someone who's trying to perform at a really high level and they're also not letting themselves recover outside of that performance. And I'd honestly identify as that type of person um, more than the person who allows themselves to take a step back and like slow down. Um, and they're, they're not getting that rest that they need. And it, it's just a, another form of stress that never comes down. So you're living, you know, this state of high stress and ultimately like it comes back to get you, whether it, it hinders your physical ability or if it's just going to affect the other areas that you're trying to show up in your life. Yeah, I think the thing that has been neglected a lot for me or I feel has been neglected is I just want to get back to being like a better person for the people around me. Like I want to be more present in other people's lives. I felt very like distant, just so much 
I'm on the opposite schedule of most people um, working nights. So I'm like asleep during the day and then I'm spending so much time running. I want to get back to being able to like have genuine connections and like have more of a grip on like what's going on in the lives of people that I care about rather than like, I've felt very selfish, like this whole prep, like it's felt really selfish. And at times that's been really hard for me to like mm -hmm. cope with. Um, Cause that's not at the end of the day, the type of person I want to be. So I'm hoping to take this time to get back to just like being a better friend, like a better person for the people who have like done so much for me. But you feel the resistance of trying to slow down, right? Uh, yes. I, this is, I graduated with my master's a year ago. So up until mm -hmm. that point, I was working full time and getting my master's degree and I was in and training for marathon. So yeah. I knew <laughs> Tyler and I joked about like when I was done, I was going to have too much free time. Like when I graduated school, like what was mm -hmm. I going to do with my life? Yeah. And I like immediately found ways to throw myself into being even busier than I was then. It's like, if I'm not busy, I find a way to like consume my time. Not in like a bad way. I took up running coaching, um, mm -hmm. which is, a, I love coaching running. I think it's one of the best things I've ever done, but it is what I use to fill the time right. that school was taking up. So now I've just, any white space I had in my life has just been like annihilated. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and I would, now that I'm not prepping for a hundred miles, I'd like to take a few months to like get back to the point where I have like more time yeah. to just like be a human who doesn't have like such scheduled regimented lifestyle. Yeah. You have to take a few steps backwards sometimes to be able to then sprint forward again. And that's true. What I've found is that I, f I make this agreement with myself that I'm going to slow down. I'm not going to continue at the same pace and rate that I've tried to continue when I'm training for a goal specifically. Um, and I make that agreement, but then I'm immediately met with resistance. On a day-to-day -day basis, it's like, well, you could probably go do a little bit more here. You could probably still like, train at the same like amount of volume that you were training at previously uh why would you want to sit down and like read a book is that really the best use of your time you haven't moved in a few hours you need to go do something all these thoughts right like just different forms of resistance coming at you um and i've found that it just takes stepping back and saying let's be curious about what happens if i just let myself chill like how about i go do that thing that i, I may not you know, um, naturally choose for myself. Maybe I will let myself read. Maybe I will go out with friends. And then the voice turns off. And then you are present in the moment. And you, you come away from that experience. And you just feel better. And it's like, oh, well, now I have more to invest in, you know, my my physical being or maybe now I, I, I just like have a greater appreciation for having the opportunity to connect with people. And it's like, those things are gratifying too, but we get caught in that cycle. It's like a hamster wheel where it's like, well, if I just keep running and running and running, like I, I will continue to feel these emotions that I feel when I do this thing. It's like, but those emotions do fade. You can, you can only abuse, you know, one thing so much before you just don't get the same return on it. So when you can take a step back, you can invest into other areas of your life and you realize that those investments are just as good, maybe even better than all of those physical investments I try to make. For sure. I try to tell people this all the time. I'm like, when you are on your deathbed, like running is not going to be there for you. Mm -hmm. And if you 
utilized running so much that you pushed everyone out of your life and like didn't genuinely connect with them like you're not gonna have anything like and eventually running will fade like you will get hurt like you're not gonna run until you're 100 years old probably um as someone who works like closely with people who are very ill no one is ever like yeah i wish i did more i wish i did more fitness like i wish they're always like i wish i spent more time with my family i wish i had a better relationship you know usually son or daughter can't relate to that but um fitness is good but it cannot be everything like it can't fill every void in your life um i mean it can for a while and it will but inevitably you're jenga is that word jenga Jenga. that thing's gonna crumble like the foundation of that is like the people and like the things that you love um and running is just one of those little things and it cannot support your foundation which i think i'm so lucky to have chosen a partner in life who is not like me because if me and tyler were the same we would have self-destructed like three years ago like there's no I need his balance to like bring me back to reality and be like, okay, like you're doing too much. Like this is not a sustainable rate for life. Like let's just take it down a notch. <laughs> um, let's maybe take one thing out of the schedule. Like we don't have to fill every ounce of our space with something. We can just like be present in the moment. Um, so I think again, <laughs> who you surround yourself with and who you choose in life, whether they're cross stitching or, um, <laughs> Tyler's probably playing RuneScape. Uh, <laughs> it's really important. And that balance for me, like, I mean, I don't know. I When I met Tyler, I wasn't as insane as I am now. Yeah. Um, it's gotten worse, but he has, like, helped throttle me back. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he didn't sign up for this originally, but neither did Abby. We're, we're, both, <laughs> we're both very fortunate in that regard. And the one thing I'd say to both of them is um, – stay the way that you are and don't become anything like us because we're toxic. <laughs> yeah, um, and it is funny. I do feel like I've regressed and just gone down like rabbit holes that probably aren't best for me. And then Abby just continues to get steadily better. So yeah, I'm grateful yeah. for that. <laughs> um, but someone I, has to be growing up and maturing. Yeah. Right. It can't be both of us at the same time. Yeah. My time's coming. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, I appreciate the conversation today. I'm, I'm definitely proud of you for for being able to accomplish this goal and then in such a short turnaround to be able to break it down because that's a hard thing to do like running 100 miles is a really big accomplishment and um from my experience it it weighs heavily on you for a few weeks after just to really consider the magnitude of it like and and all of that experience and all that it like encapsulated so um thank you for sharing everything today thank you above all else for being such a good friend to myself and to Abby. One story that I'll tell as we wrap up today's podcast is, you know, we moved to Texas uh, for a job opportunity. And, you know, in now reflecting on the final month here in Texas and like what this experience has meant for us, the job like had nothing to do with what made this time so special. It was truly the people that we met and how those those relationships will continue even if we're not here i remember we were moving down here uh, for a second time really um, kind of moving the remainder of our things and abby was officially making the move from kentucky to texas and uh we were doing a q a i think on my instagram mm-hmm. and, and i slid into the dm <laughs> i remember 
<laughs> I said, I, I want to be her friend. I remember making a joke that Abby needed friends, or maybe Abby <laughs> said that Abby needed friends. And um, you, you said, I'll be her friend. <laughs> and I remember seeing that and thinking, well, first of all, like, what a nice thing to say. Like, just to someone that you really don't know, just to be like, I'll be your friend. Like, I'm here for you when you get here. Um, so to do that is one thing. And then to truly be that friend is a whole nother thing. Um, so thank you for being that friend. Thank you both. Mostly, I, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Equal parts. Um, Austin has been a huge inspiration for me running 100 miles and has paced probably a good 100 miles of my training runs. So that has meant a lot for me mentally being alone for running long runs like that is really hard. Um, mm -hmm. There were some super hot days that I just did not think I was running 20 miles and then blinked and we had run 20 yeah. miles. So I really appreciate it. You guys have been so supportive for me um and our leadville trip really changed my life so yeah. yeah i'll forever be indebted and i'll see you back here when you're back in, yeah. 2024? 2024 have you announced your race yet no okay never mind austin's not coming back in 2024 we'll be back in 2024 and yeah. lauren yeah lauren's gonna be um playing that that important role as a crew member in 2024 so i'm looking forward to that yeah for yeah. something random we don't know yet yeah. <laughs> very mysterious all right well thank you to everyone for listening have a great week Bye.